let me take it. First of all, congratulations, long overdue honor. Thank um, you. Let me take you back to June 1983. I get a call from Jay Frank Cashin. Right. Jay, I got good news and bad news for you. We got yourself a MVP player, and I don't think the guy wants to come to New York. What do you think? So I call Frank back the next day, or whatever it was. I said, Frank, I got an idea. We're up in Montreal. I'm going to get the biggest limousine I could find, <laughs> go to the airport, and pick this guy up and give him the treatment, treatment he's ever had before. So stupid Jay goes to the wrong gate. I can never find Keith. Keith takes a cab back to the hotel. I take this gigantic stretch limousine back by myself. Thankfully, Keith, it's gotten better after that between me and you, huh? Yes, Jay. And um, fortunately for you, I'm just an old blue collar guy. And I just I got in the cab and got my my fanny to the hotel. No big deal. Yeah. I had no idea that you were going to pick me up in a stretch limo. Yeah. I remember getting out of the door that day and the doorman looks at me and says, and did anybody got through you missed? I said, no, this is how I travel, man. I travel first class. And now, Keith, Keith, let me, what was, you know, the, what we had heard betrayed, you definitely did not want to come to New York. It was just because the, the Mets were losing, the Cardinals were winning. I mean, you said, we said you didn't like the city, but in the last 30 years, the city's kind of like Keith Bernanders a lot. Well, I had uh, preconceived notions of Manhattan. And remember Manhattan, you watched growing up as a kid, you know, you watched the movies of, uh, you know, I remember Frank Sinatra's movie, The Detective uh, in particular, you know, all the, all the, uh, the crime and, and just New York was scary as a, you know, watching movies. And that's my perception of New York. And then coming to play, uh, basically, uh, with the Cardinals, it was, uh, I just never went out. I wasn't a guy to go out till four in the morning, very seldom, Jay. Um, and uh, although I did it a few times in Manhattan because it stays open, and Davey was kind enough on a day game following, I remember more than a, more than a couple times, I go to Davey and go, Davey, I've been out late. Uh, can I just not <laughs> take BP and go back into Dr. Parks's office and go take a nap? <laughs> And I would tell the, I would tell the trainers, uh, Steve, uh, I, I would tell them, could wake me up at 12 noon. And I would wake up at this is only a, a handful of times, Jay. Believe but anyway, getting back to your point, um, I shouldn't have revealed that, but uh, I always had good days though. Uh, so yeah, I had a preconceived notions of New York and a lot has to do for me to move into the city, as I said in the press conference was rusty. And Rusty said, you got to live in the city. And Rusty basically uh, took me under his wing along with uh, Ron, Ron Darling and Ed Lynch. And we all, Rusty just showed me around Manhattan and opened a lot of doors for me. Keith, how good were Rusty's ribs on 73rd Street? A lot of times here, good times there at his place. Well, I can tell you one thing, Jay. I had them all the time, but they had hits in them. Before. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about Rusty and his little black book he kept. I, I forget the, he kept a book. It was a red book. It's a red book. Um, it just, it was a book he had over the years. Gene Mock told him how to steal signs, uh, or, or not steal signs, how to pick up pitchers' tendencies at tipping pitches. And Gene Mock was one of the first guys to get him to do that. And uh, Rusty, when he was obviously with Montreal. So Rusty had a book dating back you know, the pictures when I was in high school, you know, like 
Joey Jay and Jim Maloney and all how they tipped pitches. And uh, he would never give it to me. And he said, you never, I'm not giving it to you because you never earned it. And so then the, uh, the funny part is the day, the season I, when I retired, uh, 91, we're out to dinner and he brought the red book with him. And he said, here, you could have it now. I said, a lot of good <laughs> it's going to do me now. I'm not playing anymore. <laughs> I still have the book. I still have it. Can you tell me, you know, your first year there with, with 68 wins, October of uh, 83, Davies becomes the manager. I don't remember what he said in a press conference. He said to Frank, he said, Frank, I don't know why it took so long to hire me. Right, in the next that. six years, 90-plus wins. If the Warcock was in effect, we'd been the players every year. Could anybody else but Davey have done what he did with this particular group of guys? Well, I think... Um... I said, I just think Davey's value was that he knew by managing, he managed Dykstra, he managed Doc. He knew what was down in that farm system. And the Mets, all those years, uh, when they were, after they traded Seaver, all the down years from 78 to 83, they never squandered their draft picks. They had good scouting. You had Joe McElvain was ahead of that. And uh, they didn't, they took advantage of those last place finishes and really kind of sucked it up building for that future. And it all came together in 84. Uh, and still there was no Kevin Mitchell or Lenny Dykstra in 84, uh, but everybody started filtering in from 84 and be making that team, uh, the, the uh, 108 wins and in, in the world championship in 86. So um, Davey knew the players and had faith in them. And it's much like what happened to me with Ken Boyer. I had struggled, had a good year, bad year, good year, bad year in St. Louis. And when Boyer came in 79, well, actually he came in the middle of 78. Uh, he told me uh, he's, I, 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 I was the batting champion in Tulsa American Association at 350 and I hit 330 the next year. And he had seen me play and everybody was questioning, well, was I, supposed to be this heir apparent of Joe Torrey and am I going to be this am I going to be that there was a lot of doubts but if it hadn't been for Kenny who had seen me uh, and had faith in me and put me out there you know I hit 231 in 79 in 1979 the first month of April of the season to 231 and Boyer I that's a great story he came back to the plane and told me you're my first baseman Keith just relax have a good time well from that point on I took off I think the same thing with Davey with with, with those players he managed. He knew them, he had managed them, they liked him, and uh, he got the most out of them. He's in my position as a PR guy for the team. PR's best friend is a, a player who'll be there, win or lose, you know, good times and bad times. Remember in old Shea, go through the tunnel way, your locker was right there, right in the front there. How did you become, you know, did you do that in St. Louis too to – Stand in front of you, like I mean, the press in St. Louis wasn't as much as in New York. Did how did you adapt it to that role to take on the media? Not take on, that's the right word. To be available all the time. Um, well, in St. Louis, I was one of the younger players, and uh, so I really didn't have that kind of. Uh, I mean, I did have the stature there, but uh, there wasn't that much media. There was the Post Dispatch and then the in the in the Globe Democrat. You know, the morning and afternoon papers. Frank asked me in spring training, 
when, uh, when I came in 84, first full year, and he asked me in the middle of spring training if I would be the guy that would the press can go and, and lean on and ask the questions for. And I said, sure, I would. And that's how that happened. So I, I imagine the, the medium probably got their cue from Frank, I don't know, or from you, uh, but they started coming around my locker. And, um, you know, the Mets have always been very paranoid about their young players. Uh, uh, I remember, remember they had the, they had the media coaches in there. Right, right. And, you know, there was so much media and uh, I think Frank, just wanted to take, I think he just basically wanted them to get, be able to take care of their game and develop and not have to have all that pressure of having the media after him, which they did anyway. But I think I took a little bit of that pressure off, but it was all because of Frank. Yeah. Keith, you know, I've been with you since the beginning and people say to me, well, has Keith changed? And I said, you're really the same guy you were when I first met you. you you speak your mind. You don't hold any prisoners. You're honest. I think that's why the fans love you. You know, love you for a long time. And I mean, is that your approach? To you not to be a yes/no kind of guy, just to you know tell it like not tell it like it is, but just you know speak your mind all the time. Well, I I just you never forget your roots, Jay. And my dad uh, instilled in us, my brother and I that we were no better than anybody else. And, um, you know, a lot of people I've known over the years, they get successful and they forget where they came from. Uh, our, my dad wouldn't let me, cook. my dad called it the hi-hat. Don't, you know, don't, don't give me the hi-hat. And I remember one story, I was a kid, very young, and we were making a run up to Sun Valley Dairy around two miles from the house, my dad and I in the car to go get milk. Uh, and that's back in the days when you had bottled milk. And I saw the garbage man collecting garbage. And I said, oh, look at that. Look at the garbage man. Uh, I kind of made fun of the garbage man. And my dad said, son, don't you ever get on a man that earns an honest wage? He goes, that man goes, so no one picked up the garbage. Where would all that garbage be? He goes, and that man has a family and he's working. Great and advice. Getting an honest wage and don't you ever forget it. Okay, and that, tell, that is something I remember to this day. Keith, tell me, you, you and Gary, your brother Gary, and I know very well had a special relationship. You used to make eye contact with him in games, especially during the play, playoffs in 86. Tell me the relationship with you and Gary have. Oh, Gary was my biggest fan. I mean, he's my older brother. He was an All-American at Cal, first baseman. He played two, three years in the minor leagues, got with St. Louis, got the double-A. Um. He has never been jealous of me. He's always been the, oh, my older brother. He's, I'm 68, he's 70. Um, I'm gonna be 71, my gosh, in uh, April. Um, he uh, was always there, my biggest fan. And you know, Jay, whenever we went down south and went on the West Coast trip, he'd come with me to LA and San Diego. You'd have, you know, you'd get him a room and you'd have to get him tickets and he'd come in the clubhouse. Um, He's always just, he's the exact opposite of me. He's my mother and I'm my father. My dad's, <laughs> a, my dad's a brooding Spaniard and my mom is this fun, loving Irish, Scott Irish woman. And Gary got, that's why he's in sales basically. He's been State Farm uh, forever. And uh, uh, he's just got that 
he lights up a room. He can walk into a room yeah. and talk to anybody. Yeah. Me, Good guy. I'm just the exact opposite. So he lifted me up. Maybe if I was in a slump, I'd call him. He'd make me feel positive. He, he had nothing but positive energy. He's one game I wanted to touch on. It's always been one of my favorite games in, in July of 86 in Cincinnati. Um, uh, Eric Davis slides it to Ray Knight. We have yeah. a brawl. But one game that stands out in my mind, when Gary went into play third base, you came in and got a bunt. It threw him out of third base. I mean, you remember that game? Was it? That's, you know, That's when Jesse and Roger play the outfield. Right, right. And um, Jesse made the last out on a line drive. I believe it was off the bat of Tony Perez. I could be wrong there. Um, and Roger was pitching. They were going back and forth. I mean, JV would bring in Roger. Whitey Herzog did it first. That's where Davey, Davey got it from. You know, you don't have to take your pitcher out. Roger and Roger was always shagging fly balls in the outfield. And so was Jesse in batting practice. They were good athletes. And he just, Roger would pitch to a right-hander and then go out to right field. And Jesse had pitched to the left-hander. Uh, that's what I remember most of that game. The double play was great, but, uh, and it was at a critical part of the game. Right. But, um, you were by the batter's box almost, I remember. I, I got mean, it on the four. third base side. It was, it was a, it was a, Pete Rose was the manager. It was a rookie pitcher. Uh, Pete Rose puts the bun sign on. He's just called up. He's not going to turn around and be brave and try to hit one by me. He's going to bunt. So I really played aggressively and, and we had the perfect guy, Gary, cause he's a catcher to make, he's used to making those infield throws. And he made the perfect throw across the bag for the, for the double play. Keith, the one time you got mad at me, not mad at me, we're at game six of the World Series. We're sitting in the office, me, you, and Daryl Johnson. Um, I had gotten up, I, I think when the rally first started, I had gotten up to go to the bathroom. Said, you said, sit down, don't move. I sat yeah. down, and the yeah. rally happened. And you held it. <laughs> I, no, not really, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> so... No, those wherever we were, uh, those seats had chairs had hits in it. I mean, it was um, who was in there? You, me, and uh, Daryl Johnson. Daryl Johnson. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, we didn't move, and uh, I was going to go back down the bench after uh, Car uh, who who followed Carter? Was it was it Kevin? With Mitchell uh, and then Ray. I'm ready to go back down. And I just said, you know what? We're one out away from elimination. I'm going to sit here. Okay, let me do, talk about S and Y for a couple, two minutes. Did you envision the success you guys were to have? You know, 16 years, a couple of Emmys, you know, regardless of top uh, TV team in baseball. You know, Ronnie was a friend. Why do you think you guys hit it off so well? You, you have the last 16 years. Well, I think um, I think that I always say the backbone of the broadcast is Gary and um, Gary Cohn. Um, he is so knowledgeable about Mets. He's a Met fan and a knowledgeable. And you know, there he's basically always he's the maestro. He's the Leonard Bernstein that has to uh, bring Ronnie and I weave us in and out of of, of the broadcast and get our our expertise. Uh, and he's brilliant at it. And he asks questions and pointed questions at times. And it keeps, I think I can only speak for myself. I'm sure it's the same thing with Ron. It keeps us on our toes because he gets better in the eight nothing games in the third inning. 
I mean, he, he gets better. And those, those are the tough games. And, you know, I'll go into storytelling. And, you know, Gary's got a good sense of humor, too. You know that. He just, I do. I do. He does have a good sense of humor. And he, listen, I'm kind of the comic relief in there to a degree. And I know what I'm doing. And Gary knows uh, how to play it long enough, then get back to the broadcast. I, so I really feel that Ron and I bring a level of professional expertise. Ronnie knows pitching. Ron, I can't. I can't talk about pitching like Ronnie talks about pitching. I never cared about mechanics here or there. All I cared about was seeing the ball out of the hand of the pitcher. And uh, so I can't uh, talk about that where Ron does. And I can bring then what uh, hitting and the offensive part of the game and defense. And Ronnie's very good too, because Ronnie's an athlete. And Ronnie played, and he wasn't just a pitcher growing up. You know, he played in the field. He was a good base runner. Ronnie knows the game. So I just think it's a good blend, but I really feel it's all about our production team in there too, Greg Picker, our producer. And um, Gary, that's why I think. So give me ended up June 83. Did you think with your beginning that so many years later you'd be in Mets Hall of Fame? Your number be retired with the Mets, like you can't walk out on the streets in New York without people coming up to your autograph. Did you think that ever possibly could happen? Looking back, thirty almost thirty years ago. No, I figured uh, when I was towards the tail end of my career, what am I going to do the second half of my life, Jay? You know, think about it. Thirty-seven, I'm done. I had the back surgery, yeah. and I'm going. Okay, that's the first half of my life, and I it's not like golf. I can't play seniors. I go, what am I, what am I going to do with the second half of my life? And uh, it took me a while to figure it out. And I just think it was just all a lot of luck. Um, but the opera, I, I mean, I didn't watch the game because I, my last year in Cleveland and my last year in New York was a disaster. I broke my kneecap. You remember that? I missed, right, eight, sure. I missed eight months, uh, eight weeks, uh, almost nine weeks. And I came back in August and it was a leg injury. I couldn't run. And so when I was rehabbing, I don't care. I'm 36, 37 years old. And it was hot. And I was like exhausted in the fifth inning. I, you know, those are, you build up your stamina in spring training. I missed two months and that was a, not a good year. It was not a good finish for me in uh, 89. And then I go to Cleveland and I just, have a disastrous year. I get hurt all year. I only have 110 at bats. I tear my calf three times. And uh, I just didn't like the way my career ended. You know, it wasn't a, a, a Derek Jeter ending, you know, a Hollywood ending. Uh, and I was a little bitter about it. Not bitter wouldn't be the word, but just not happy about it. So I didn't watch baseball. So 91 was my last year. Uh, 90 was my last year. I, 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 was on the roster, but out all year with the surgery on my back. So I didn't watch a game till, believe it or not, what got me to watch baseball again was the Sosa McGuire home run chase. How can you not watch that? Even though there they were, two Michelin men right there, uh, uh, right in front of your eyes. And still, it didn't, it didn't strike me. I mean, I, I remember Sammy when he was with the White Sox, we were playing in spring training when I was a young kid in the Cardinals. 
and he was he was never a big guy but uh, it just didn't register but it was that's what got me watching baseball again was that home run chase yeah keith and i just want to say i don't want to embarrass you but you know we you and i have been friends a long time and anytime we had a charity thing somebody at chase somebody on cf you're always there for us you know got a big heart and i want the fans should know that too it's been a Pleasure being your friend all these years, and congratulations on the honor. And I'll be leading the applause on July 9th. Okay, Jay, and uh, my whole family's coming. It's just going to be a wonderful weekend. I, I, I'm just so thrilled and so honored. Um, I never would have dreamed this. But last, last question before when you, when Steve Cohn called, you thought he was asking something else and not about I, getting to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, he's phone numbers in my address book and his name came up on my phone. I'm like, okay, must want to talk about a question about the team. So I said, hi. And I just started. So, Oh, by the way, I just really love what, what you, what the team has done this off season. And we were talking and I won't say the details about it for around almost 10 minutes. And he said, well, he goes, that's not what I called you here about. Kate. I, called you for. And I said, Oh, okay. And he goes, you were retiring your number. I just about, I just about fell off my chair. Well, well deserved. Keith, I'm going to text you Friday. I have to write something for the yearbook on the numbers. I'll give you text you Friday morning if something you're available. Sometime. Okay. All right. Congratulations again, Keith. It's been a pleasure. Okay, Jay. Take care.